Pastor Rich Chafin was there. Some of you remember him from the Young Adults Retreat. He sends his regards. And let's pray and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much, God. We thank you for just your goodness towards us, God. Uh, Lord, your grace, how you've saved us, Lord. You've died for us. You've adopted us, Lord. Uh, You give us so much grace and mercy and kindness, God. How you give us your word. You give us your Holy Spirit. You give us the body of Christ to stir one another up, Lord. Lord, thank you for being so good to us, Lord. Lord, I ask that in each of us, Lord, we'd have that spirit of just gratitude and thanksgiving in us for all that you've done for us, God. And Lord, we just pray for the family, Lord, those going through difficulty in the season, uh, those that are struggling. Continue to pray for Frank and Andrea in the hospital, Lord. Continue to lift up Jessica. And Lord, those that their health is just a continual struggle, may you just encourage them and guide them and lead them, Lord. We just pray for all the new parents, all the new babies, Lord, for those babies that are soon to come. May you protect the moms, protect the babies, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that everything would go smoothly. And Lord, we just come to you. We ask you that you'd fill us a fresh Holy Spirit with you to overflowing. Help me to rightly divide your word. Help each of us to apply it, God. Help us to be honest with ourselves and where we're at with you, Lord, in our walk and relationship with you. So we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Here in Matthew chapter 4, we just finished the ministry of John the Baptist in chapter 3. And then also the baptism at the end of chapter 3 of Jesus Christ. And there's no real chapter break or gap here. The moment that Jesus is baptized, we know that the heavens opened and God said that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We also know that the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and dwelt upon Jesus Christ. And it's after Jesus receives this Holy Spirit upon him that he begins his ministry. And right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, we take off in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Again, I don't know if this is anyone's life verse or a verse that uh, ministers to them. But oftentimes when the Lord is going to begin to do great things in us and through us, the enemy comes knocking on our door. There's no break here. As soon as Jesus is baptized, as soon as his ministry begins, right away the Holy Spirit leads him drives him to the wilderness and there in the wilderness he's tempted by the devil and we know that in the baptism Jesus went through the baptism process not because he needed to repent not because he needed to add anything to his righteousness but he experienced baptism so that he could identify with us he experienced baptism he experienced all of that to tell us this is the way that we are to walk in if we are following Jesus Christ. The same can be said here in chapter 4 with the temptation of Jesus Christ. It's not adding to his righteousness. It's not because he needed it. It is because he wanted to identify with us all the more. In Hebrews chapter 2, it tells us that in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He's been made like us in every form and every way. He can say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. Zach, it's okay. You're going to get through it. Just follow me. Follow my example. And then he's also able to aid those who are tempted. That when we go through temptation, we can call upon him, we can cry out to him, and he will help us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it tells us, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He can sympathize with us. He's been through everything we've been through, and he can sympathize with us. Jesus was not born into this world with a silver spoon. He wasn't born in a kingdom or in a castle or there amongst kings and queens. He was born with nothing. He was born in a stable. He was born poor and his family needy, and he can sympathize with us. Jesus was willing to identify with us, but he already knew us. He didn't need to do these things for himself. He did this for us. And for us to take a step back and again realize just how much Jesus loves us. For some of the parents here, hopefully you've identified with your kids and you crawl on your hands and knees and you play with them, right? You identify with them, you get down to their level and you play with them, you act like them. New parents, they end up talking like babies. I never quite understood that, right? But you identify with them. You start trying to talk like them. They're staring at you. Why are you talking like that, right? In uh, 2012, there was a fitness trainer who gained 70 pounds of fat in six months. He went from a 34-inch waist to a 48-inch waist in six months. Then later on, the next six months, he went on to lose all that weight so that he could better understand his clients. So again, Jesus, he does all this not to understand us better. He understands us. He knew us before we were in our mother's womb. But he went through all these difficulties in life and came out without sin so that he can identify with us and sympathize with us and help us when we are being tempted. It's not only to identify and sympathize, but he's saying, Zach, follow me. Follow my example. Look at what I did. It's also important for us to remember that the Holy Spirit himself did not tempt Jesus. James chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Sometimes I get frustrated because God gets blamed for so many things that he has nothing to do with, right? God told me to do this, this is God's plan, and it all goes away, it explodes in the person's face, and then you're standing there saying, did God change his mind, right? Did something happen here? Another person that often gets blamed is the devil. The devil gets blamed for so many things. It's already January 29th, maybe you've had difficulty with your New Year's resolution, and you say, man, I shouldn't have eaten those dozen donuts, the devil made me do it, right? The devil made me eat all 12. He came to me and just force-fed me all those donuts, right? We do that in our own flesh. It's our own flesh that often leads us into that temptation, and we buy into it, and we go through it. Oftentimes, we are feeding on so much of the sin of this world 
The enemy just lets us on our own. We're feeding and taking in so much of the media of this world and the music of this world and the people of this world. We lead ourselves into that temptation because that's what we're in. That's what we're feeding on. That's what we're thinking about. However, for Jesus, he went through the most difficult temptation, worse than we can ever imagine, and he had to deal with Satan himself. He literally danced with the devil. And he did it fasting for 40 days and nights. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. We have no excuse to be hangry with our family members, right? No excuse. 40 days and night without food. And yet he deals with the temptation of the enemy and he comes out victorious. We got to keep in mind, Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. And the very first thing is the temptation here. Joe Foshi states, there's no spiritual growth without spiritual warfare. There's no spiritual growth without spiritual warfare. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Luther's remark stands true. That prayer, meditation, and temptation are the three best instructors of the gospel minister. Prayer, meditation, and temptation. And temptations and trials test us and reveal the reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only do they reveal the reality of where we're at with Jesus Christ, but if we handle them well, they grow our relationship. They grow our endurance. We should embrace trials. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 tells us, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Those trials, they produce patience. Those trials reveal to us truly where are we at in our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. If you ever want to know if your friend really loves you or not, just tell them the word no and see how they respond. If they're fine and they're cool with it, you know you got a real friend. Right? Any of the parents here, you want to test if your kids are really well-behaved or not, you just give them a little vitamin N. You just tell them no and see how they respond. See how they respond. Everything's all fun and great when it's always chicken tenders and french fries and ice cream. Everything is great, right? But when you say, no, you have to do this, wait and see how they respond. If they f throw themselves on the floor and they're flailing all around, you know where they're at, right? You come to the parenting conference, right? It happens to the best of us. <laughs> In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If anyone could tell us that trials reveal the genuineness of your faith, it's Peter. Peter, he's the first disciple to tell Jesus, I will never leave you. I, I'm with you all the way. Jesus, these other 11 guys, they're a bunch of scrubs, but Lord, I am here no matter what. We know all the disciples, they were thinking the same thing. But what happens later that night? They all run, they all flee from him. The trial came in the life of Peter, and Peter was revealed and shown truly where his faith was at. And his faith, his walk, his relationship with the Lord was not as strong as he thought. You see, temptations and trials are just a reality of this life. We would be wise to stop complaining about them 
and to just embrace them. To realize they're a part of a life. And our obedience to God is a declaration of who we think He is and is an act of worship. The way we obey Him when we're told no. The way we obey Him when we go through trials and difficulties. That's when we're declaring who we really think God is. Psalm 34 verse 19 tells us, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Again, I don't know if anyone has that verse tattooed on them, right? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. John 16, verse 33, Jesus tells us, In these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Trials and tribulations will come. How will we deal with them? Will we be those sons and daughters that trust in our Father no matter what? Or will we quickly fall and melt down no matter how small the trial is, right? There's some that, man, I can't believe it, Lord. You're giving me your toughest battles. At Starbucks, they misspelled my name again, God. They did it again. How am I going to get through the day, right? We got to grow. We need to grow as believers. Charles Spurgeon, he says, let us do what we will. We shall be tempted. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. Everyone's going to go through temptation. You're a son or daughter of God, you will go through temptation. And the Gospels give us more insight into just how difficult this temptation was for Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 2, it tells us being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. What the Gospels revealed to us is that Jesus was constantly being tempted and in this battle with Satan over the whole 40 days of fasting. It just seems that Jesus, he gives to us and he brings to us the final three temptations. The toughest test from the enemy. The best ammunition that Satan had to offer, he wants us to know so that we can be well equipped to handle through those temptations. We all go through temptation, but Jesus takes it to a whole nother level and really goes through the temptation on God mode. Not only does Jesus have to deal with the temptation of Satan, but he's completely alone in the wilderness. And then to top it all off, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. David Guzik, he makes some of these contrasts between the baptism in chapter 3 and the temptation in chapter 4. And much is like the life of, for us as Christians. He says, then the cool waters of the Jordan and now the barren wilderness. Then the huge crowds... Now solitude and silence. Then the spirit resting like a dove. Now the spirit drives him into the wilderness. Then the voice of the father calling him beloved son. Now the hiss of Satan the tempter. Then anointed, now attacked. Then the water of baptism. Now the fire of temptation. First the heavens opened and now hell. Jesus went through all this to show us a path and a way to overcome temptation. Jesus, he's tempted by Satan himself. 
Jesus, he's tempted when he's all alone. It's not like he could go to a men's meeting or a ladies' meeting the next day or a midweek service. He's alone for 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted not in a city, not in a beautiful field, not in the mountains. He's tempted in a desert wilderness. And finally, he's tempted while fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Back to Matthew chapter 4, we look at verse 3 and 4. It says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan begins and tries to appeal to the lust of the flesh. He tries to appeal to the lust of the flesh that he's hoping is within Jesus. Satan starts off by tempting Jesus like that heckler on the playground, right? If you're so strong, why don't you pick this up? If you're so fast, why don't you run here? If you're so cool, why don't you do this? Satan is tempting Jesus to flex his God muscle. However, was creating food really that difficult for Jesus? Right? You scholars of the Bible is making food that hard for Jesus? In John chapter 2, he changes water into wine. In Luke 5, he brings in such a great haul of fish that the commercial fishermen's nets begin to break. Matthew 14, with five loaves and two fish, he feeds 5,000 men, not including the women and children. And Matthew 15, with seven loaves and a few fish, he feeds over 4,000 men, not including the women and children. Finally, in John chapter 21, he brings yet another great haul of fish that they need two boats to grab it all. No, multiplying food, creating food, that was easy peasy for him, right? Simple. What Satan's truly tempting Jesus to do is to use his own power to serve himself. He's tempting him to use his own power to fulfill his own appetite. And it's a temptation for each and every one of us. We walk into a room and the only person we're looking to serve is ourselves, in our marriages, in our relationships, the only one we truly care about is how tired am I? What, am I? what are my needs? What do I want? What do I feel? Jesus, his whole life's ministry was to honor God the Father and look out for the interests of others. That's his whole life, his whole ministry. Charles Spurgeon says, He bids the Lord prove his sonship by catering for himself. And yet that would have been the surest way to prove that he was not the Son of God. You see, Jesus, he lived a whole life of being a slave for others. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43, Jesus tells his disciples, Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you des who desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 13, after Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, Judas included, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Finally, Titus chapter 2, verse 13 tells us, Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Again, the mindset of the Son of God 
is to give his life. To give his life. And that should be our mindset as well. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we should have the same mindset that Jesus Christ had. Are you only thinking about what you want? Or when you walk into a room, when you're with family, when you're at church, are you thinking, man, how can I bless other people? What does that person want? If you're going through difficulty in marriage, that's the first thing to look at, is to realize just how selfish we are. Take a step back and realize, are all your thoughts about you, your desires, your feelings, your emotions, your wants, or are you, like Jesus Christ, looking to serve others before you serve yourself? Jesus answers in verse 4, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right here, Jesus, he could have annihilated Satan. He, he created Satan. He was once an angel. This angel, he rises puffed up with pride, and then he's thrown away and cast out of heaven. Jesus, he could have spoken some new word, some new idea. He could have spoken in some angelic tongue. But instead, Jesus says, it is written. He also states, man shall not live by bread alone. You see, Jesus isn't just defeating Satan as God. He's defeating Satan as man. He's showing us this is how man can overcome temptation. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. That man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus defeats Satan by bringing out the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the only offensive piece of equipment in the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. We could think of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. That tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The way we defeat temptation is first we need to submit to God. Submit to God. Bring out that shield of faith and submit to God when the temptations come. And then after that, bring out the truth of the Word of God. This is how we defeat temptation. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have to believe that when we're faced with temptation. We need to bring out that shield of faith to quench the lies of the enemy by placing our faith and trust in God. Not in our emotions, not in this world, not in what people are saying, but we put our faith and trust in God. And then we bring out that sword of the Spirit to push back against the temptations that come our way. David Guzik says, We effectively resist temptation in the same way Jesus did. By countering Satan's seductive lies, by shining the light of God's truth upon them. If we are ignorant of God's truth, we are poorly armed in the fight against temptation. Are you ignorant of God's truth? When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you spent time meditating on the Word of God? If you are ignorant of God's Word, it will be easy for Satan to deceive you. Because you don't know the truth. You don't know the truth. Where are you taking and consuming in the Word of God? Is it on reels, right? Is it through TikTok? Is it through social media? Got to fact check all those guys, right? It's lies. It's deceit. We need to be in God's Word each and every day. Are we aware of God's truth or are we ignorant of His Word? Each of us, 
probably have more than one Bible if we're honest, right? On my cell phone, on one app, I got 10 different versions, right? It's easy. And yet we are so lazy. I am so lazy when it comes to just spending 10 minutes a day reading my Bible. How can we expect to get through the day? How can we expect to overcome temptation when we are too lazy to spend time sharpening our only offensive weapon? We need to grow in this. We need to grow in this self-discipline as if our life depended on it. Because guess what? Our lives depend on it. It does. We need to spend time in God's word, especially for the mothers here, for the fathers here. I think you would want to protect your kids from any enemy out there. So how much more should we spend time in God's word so that we can effectively fight back the lies and the deception of the enemy and of this world with the truth of God's word? Verse 5, we see the second temptation. It tells us the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. The second temptation here, Satan's appealing to the pride of life. He's hoping to stir up some pride within Jesus. Satan tempts Jesus from 200 feet up at the pinnacle of the temple, tempting him to throw himself down so that angels would catch him. Instead of waiting and trusting in God, why don't you force God's hand and prove to everyone there on the temple mount that you are the Son of God? Again, what a sight to be seen by all the religious people walking around the temple. You see a man throw himself and all of a sudden angels catch him and he's floating down. Everybody would think it's a miracle. And this is Satan's temptation. Let's turn to Psalm 91. And we'll see here some of the lies and tricks of the devil and false teachers as well. Psalm 91. Satan, he comes back to Jesus and he says, it is written. So now Satan brings scripture to tempt Jesus. He tells them, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. He's quoting here from Psalm 91, verse 11 through 12. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. What does Satan do here? He leaves certain parts of the portion of Scripture out of it. He chooses, he picks and chooses what's there, and he twists Scripture. By emitting the, to keep you in all your ways, Satan attempts to deceive Jesus by twisting Scripture, making it seem as if God will protect Jesus with his angels even in sin and even in forbidden ways. Scripture warns those who add and subtract from Scripture in order to twist it for their own pleasures. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, it tells us, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. This is why it's so important for us to be well-versed with our weapon. Because people will cut and choose. 
People will twist things and take things out of context in order to fit their own narrative and their own desires. Honestly, you can cut and paste the Bible and make it say whatever you want. That's why it's so important for us to know God's Word and the context of God's Word. Revelation 22 also warns anyone who adds or subtracts from the Word of God. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility to read and know the whole counsel of God. It is. It's our responsibility to not just take someone else's word for it, but to go through God's word in order to protect ourselves and those we love from temptation, from false gospels, and from false teachers. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase in more ungodliness. If we're honest, what we're prone to do is not study God's word. What we're prone to do is to jump into every single profane and idle babbling. Right? Any argument on social media, oh, I want to get in on this, right? I at least want to watch in it. I'm going to throw a couple words and back up and watch everything explode. That, that's what we're more prone to do is to dive into the profane and idle babblings. But here Paul tells Timothy, just shun that. Get away from that. Don't jump into that garbage. Instead, what we should be doing is studying God's word so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. In Acts 17 verse 11 it speaks of the Bereans and it says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That's why we ask at the beginning of every service, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and take a Bible so that you can read along with whoever's teaching here so you can fact check us. And say, hey, that doesn't belong there. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need a new 747. Where did you get that from, right? The Bible, a new Bentley, where is that? What version are you reading from, right? That's why each of us are to go through God's word on our own. Each of us, that's on us. Then how does Jesus respond to him? Back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. How does Jesus respond to him? Open book test. It is written. Once again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Here Jesus, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's as if maybe Jesus was reading through the book of Deuteronomy that morning in his devotionals, right? And his devos, he's reading through Deuteronomy and he's saying, Lord, you've equipped me for this temptation. So important for us to read God's word. Jesus, he submits to God, and he brings out the truth of the word of God. You see, we're not to demand some type of miracle for God to reveal himself to us or prove himself to us. Trying to pin God into a corner or trying to manipulate God into what you want is sinful and dangerous. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it tells us, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we've ever gone through a season of difficulty and we dare say, God, do you even love me? We should repent from that. 
We should repent from that. God, he's already demonstrated the greatest form of love that he can. He offered his only begotten son to die for us, to take our place. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? If he gave his very best, how dare we think, God, do you even love me? God has done what no parent here would ever do. Offer our own child for a stranger? For an enemy? Offer one of my kids for somebody else? I would never do such a thing. And yet we question God. Right? We've all been there with our little kids. Dad, Mom, if you really loved me, you would buy me that banana split, right? <laughs> Dad, Mom, if you really loved me, you would buy me that PS5. You'd buy me that phone. You'd buy me this. I'm already demonstrating my love towards you. You're alive. You're not dead yet, right? You got a roof over your head. You got food. You got school. You got clothes. I'm already demonstrating my love towards you. But so often, just because we don't get what we want, we start whining and trying to manipulate God and say, God, are you even out there? You're not doing what I want you to do. Are you even out there? I have to be careful with that. This is the temptation that the enemy provides to Jesus. Why don't you demand some type of miracle out of God to prove himself to you? Throw yourself off the building. You deserve for him to do X, Y, or Z for you. And be careful trying to manipulate God into what you want. One of the things that ministered to me the most this past weekend at the men's conference is back on December 26th, one of the pastors, one of the associate pastors at Calvary Chapel Orlando, his granddaughter passed away. Seven-year-old girl, December 26. And yet that man, one month later, was there serving at the conference, ministering to other men, praying with other men. The father of the little girl, he was there at the conference as well, ministering to other men, setting up things, breaking down things, Again, how do we deal with life when we're given the most difficult things? That's when who our true idea of who God is is brought to the surface. It's not when you're getting everything you want and everything is roses and beautiful. It's when life offers you the most difficult things possible. How do we react? Do we turn around and curse God? Or do we, like Job, say, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to trust in you. No matter what, Lord, I love you. And I'm going to follow you. You give and you take. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Here's the third temptation. It says, again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. This third temptation, Satan's appealing to the lust of the flesh. He's hoping, hey, I can stir up that lust of the flesh and Jesus will give into it. Satan takes Jesus up to some spiritual viewpoint just as John the Apostle was taken up into a great and high mountain in Revelation 21 and he saw the great city of Jerusalem. And here what Satan does is he offers Jesus a shortcut with much less pain in order to rule and reign over the kingdoms of this world. He says, hey, why do you have to go through this difficulty? Why do you have to die? Why do you have to take the cup of suffering? If you just bow down and worship me, 
You can have power over all the kingdoms of this world. And oftentimes Satan will tempt us by giving us a shortcut that looks like there's less pain involved. But whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. There's no way around it. If we sow towards sin, we're going to reap that and then some. You sow one little seed, what do you do? You get a plant that bears fruit, and each of those fruits have five, ten, hundreds of seeds in, in each of them. Whatever we sow to, we're going to reap with the whirlwind. We know that Satan, he has a short time of having power over this world and over the kingdoms in it. Let's turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just a reminder of the one somewhat in control of the world, the world systems. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 3, it tells us, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, for a short time, Satan is the God of this age. He has power over the kingdoms and principalities of this world. And he tempts Jesus, hey, just take this shortcut. It'll be less pain, just worship and follow me. Jesus doesn't take the bait. We know that one day the Antichrist, he's going to accept this deal of worshiping Satan to have power over the kingdoms and governments of this world. Finally, back in Matthew verse, chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus tells him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Once again, how does Jesus respond? It is written. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, it tells us, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. We must be mindful. Temptation itself is not sin. When we sin, what happens is we no longer submit to God and bring his word to the forefront, but instead we submit to the enemy, to our flesh, or to this world. The world brings a lie to you, and now you have to make the decision. Are you going to submit to your desires, to the desires of this world, the desires of other people, or are you going to submit to God and the word of God? John Trapp, he says, The word of God hath a power in it to shrink and squash Satan's temptations. Far better than a wooden dagger, that leaden, wood, that leaden sword of the papist, their holy water, crossings, grains, or dirty relics. It is not the sign of the cross, but the word of the cross that overthrows Satan. 
It's not our little hand motions. It's not taking a wooden cross against the vampires and trying to beat them. It's not putting crosses all over the house. What defeats Satan is the word of the cross. That's why we have to know the word. The word needs to be in us and be the first thing to come out of us in any type of difficulty. It's not signs. It's not necklaces. It's not beads. It is the word of God that can squash and shrink Satan and all of his temptations. Verse 11 tells us, Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. It's not that it was a sin for Jesus to eat. It was a sin for Jesus to use his power to appease his own desires and hungers. We are to give to others. And when we do, God, he always blesses us. So the angels come back and they minister to Jesus in the proper time. They give him angel hair pasta. They gave him angel food cake for dessert, right? And they minister to him and take care of him. Let's turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we mentioned verse 7 at the beginning, but now let's look a little bit more at this. James chapter 4, verse Let's start in verse 4. It tells us, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The truth is that Satan and sin have no power over a son or daughter of God. Satan's only course of action is to try and deceive us. He lies to us in order to cause us to believe in something that is not true. The question is, who will we submit to? Those temptations come up, right? My gender is not my real gender. That temptation comes up. Who will you submit to? The word of God or the word of this world? The temptation comes. Man, I just want to give in to these drugs. Are you going to submit to God and the truth of God's word or to the world? I want to start that relationship with this girl. I want to start this relationship with this guy. My wife won't find out. My husband won't find out. Who will you submit to? All of temptation comes down to those very simple questions. Who do you love and who will you submit to? Who do you love and who will you submit to? That's why we must constantly submit to God's word. Because Satan, he doesn't have power over us. All he can do is try and deceive us. In John chapter 8, Jesus has an interesting conversation with the Pharisees. He tells them, you are of your father the devil. 
and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the father of lies. And that's what he serves up to us. He serves up lies. Oh, everybody's talking about you. Everybody's thinking, everybody's wondering this, everybody's thinking that. He serves a bunch of lies. Oh, this will feel better. Oh, if I do this, this will finally work. He serves up all these lies. Satan is also the deceiver. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He brings up lies. And he tries to get us to bite on them, to accept them as truth. Peter tells us to be sober. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That word sober, it's not just talking about drugs and alcohol or being straight edge and being clear-minded. It's talking about being sober-minded. What are you feeding on? It's going to be difficult to be sober-minded when the most of your consumption, the most thing that you're feeding on is this world, the things of this world, the media of this world, and what this world is feeding you. It's going to be difficult to be sober-minded. You're going to be double-minded like we read in James. That's why we need to submit to Jesus Christ. We need to submit to His Word. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At the end of the day, each, sing, each and every one of us needs to come to the question, is Jesus the truth or not? And if he's the truth and if his word is the truth, there's nothing else really to talk about. The world's going to bring up the lies. Satan's going to bring up the deception. But who has the truth? He is absolute truth. He is and we should stand fast in him. All of this temptation happens to Jesus before any of the disciples are called. He's not with any of the disciples, and yet we see it in so many of the Gospels. Jesus, at some point, must have sat down with the disciples and said, Hey guys, you can overcome temptation as well. Let me tell you what happened right after I got baptized. That's my paraphrase there, right? But Jesus, at some point, must have sat down with them and said, Hey guys, this is important. And we must take note of how Jesus was able to overcome and remember that if we are saved here, we've been called to overcome. That's what we've been called to do, to be overcomers. We've been called to be transformed, to have our minds renewed, to not be overcome and squeezed into the mold of this world, but to have our minds renewed by Jesus Christ and by his word. Joe Foch, he points out that in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, he first speaks and he slanders God to Eve. Satan tells Eve, oh, God doesn't really love you. He's keeping back the best from you. That fruit's the best. That fruit will make you like him. That's why God is keeping that away from you. In Job chapter 1, Satan, he slanders man to God. He tells God, hey, Job, he only loves you because of all the blessings. He only loves you because of all the money, all of the kids, all of the blessings that he has. And here, finally, in Matthew chapter 4, Satan is facing the God-man. And he's, he has no angle. 
He doesn't know what to do with himself, so we would be wise to pay attention because Satan is going to bring his very best to take down the Son of God. So we should learn from the example of Jesus Christ on how to defeat the enemy when we are tempted. Because here, Satan, if you were Satan, wouldn't you be bringing your best against your biggest enemy? So we would be wise to pay attention and follow the example of our King and of our Savior. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And there in verse 15, it tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Didn't James just tell us something very similar? It's enmity with God. You put yourself as an enemy of God when you love this world. Verse 16, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lusts of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, this world, this life, it's going to pass quickly. It's going to pass quickly. If you're here and you're saved, it's going to be a small memory at some point in eternity. Man, you remember when we used to go to church? Remember when we used to have pain and aches and we'd wake up in the morning and I remember all that, right? It's going to be a small memory. May we hold on to the Word of God because everything else is going to pass away, but the Word of God will last forever, will last for an eternity. Finally, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we'll close up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Worship team, you guys can get ready. It tells us, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The next time you're tempted, who are you going to submit to? Are you going to submit to the temptation or are you going to submit to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? How it tells us no temptation has overtaken you. You do not have to sin. You do not have to do this. So not only does Jesus go through this life and he identifies with us, he's able to sympathize with us, he's gone through all the same things we've gone through, but now on top of that, whenever we're tempted, 
we can know that God has not allowed that temptation unless he knows we can handle it in him and through him and in the word of God. Not only does he hold back what we can't handle, but then in each and every temptation, he makes the way of escape. He places that escape route every time the temptation comes. So the question is, who will we submit to? Will we submit to the word of God? Will we flee from idolatry? Or will we continue to try to play a game, pretending like we're living for God, when all along we're just fulfilling our own flesh and own desires? That very first temptation. Why don't you use your power and just fulfill your own desires? That's not us. Our goal, our life is to please God and then care for others. Please God and serve one another. So may each of us grow to be those overcomers. That's what you've been called to be, is to be an overcomer. So hey, let's all stand and we'll close in prayer. Maybe you've had a rough week and you fell into that temptation. You chose to jump into that temptation. I encourage you, come up front, pray with one of the pastors. Maybe you need renewed strength. Come up front, pray with one of the pastors. So Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the reminder, God, of who you've created us to be, God. Lord, how you were able to overcome every temptation and how we're your little brothers and sisters, Lord. We're to be conformed to the image and likeness of you. So God, help us to overcome sin more and more, Lord. And help each and every one of the parents here, Lord, each and every one of us to have influence in the life of other people, Lord. Help us to grow in your word, God. Help us to stop making excuses for our laziness, Lord, and to just stay focused and fixed upon you all the more, God. Lord, we do. We pray for our sons and daughters and the insanity of the world today, Lord. Pray that you'd keep them and you'd preserve them. And Lord, help us as parents to truly lead them and guide them by example in your truth. So Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.